Grounded Radio is a podcast on creativity, well-being, personal growth, and spiritual journeys. The ladies of Grounded embark on a journey of what it means to be our most authentic self and lead a well-balanced life. Be inspired and tune in to the raw conversations that bridge our human connection and raise our frequencies. This is Grounded Radio. Hello, beautiful beings. You are now tuning in to the Grounded Podcast, where we share your well-being, art, and lifestyle stories to connect and inspire. This is Bianca. Hi, I'm Marika. And on today's podcast, we have an amazing woman here to talk to us about having a positive mindset to help find happiness when things may seem dark or uncertain. She's a bar fitness instructor and owner of a wellness and surf resort in Chargao called Punta Punta Surf Retreat. She is also a positive mindset coach and a new mama to her son who was born in Spain just a few months ago over the pandemic. She's actually joining us from Moraira in Spain. And we are so pleased to welcome Gina Harris. Hi! Hi, Gina! Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it's our pleasure. It's so nice to finally get to sit down and chat with you. First, I just want to tell you guys how I first learned about Gina. I saw a flyer in the Bar 3 studio. And which is my favorite workout. So when I saw that there was a bar yoga surf retreat in Chargao, I got all excited. And from there, I checked out her website and I was just so inspired with her life. And I remember thinking to myself that this is exactly the kind of person that I and our grounded team can learn from. And so now here we are. And it's such an honor to be able to chat with you and have you here, even though you're all the way in Spain. I'm so glad to be here, and it's so nice to talk with other people and see faces. Um, Since we're recording this and I can see your face right now, it's like, wow, new people. (laughs) I wanted to ask, because since bar is my favorite workout, what kind of bar instructor are you? Is it bar three? No, so I'm not a bar three instructor, though I do love bar three. Um, I got certified with the International Bar Association which is not like what lawyers do, but what bar instructors do. Um, (laughs) And from there, you kind of learn the foundation of bar. Um, And what I did living in Chargao was adapt this to kind of the elements that we have and also the resources that we have. So, for example, we don't have access to weights or to those nice like Pilates balls. So we use um, sticks of bamboo We use coconuts, and I call it more of a tropical functional bar um, that really burns. (laughs) So it's got all of the same kind of principles of bar, but because I have a dance background, I decided to fuse it with, you know, kind of a ballet inspiration and a bit of CrossFit and a little bit of yoga and a lot of, you know, booty pumping, coconut lifting, um, toning moves. So it's it's definitely a different class. You'll have to try it. (laughs) That sounds like a dream right now. I just pictured (laughs) myself holding a coconut and I saw your photos in white banana and like just doing some (laughs) squats and white banana. (laughs) What's really fun about the coconuts is that, um, you know, I don't weigh them before we use them. So we just have a friend who cuts down the coconuts from our tree and, you know, surprise, (laughs) 
who knows, like you might. <laughs> Wild card coconut. Yeah. One might be really heavy and one might be really light. You have no idea. So it's really fun kind of seeing the women that come into class and picking up their coconut and trying to figure out, is this one lighter? Is this one lighter? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know till you start. You don't know until you start. <laughs> That's amazing. So were you a ballerina? So I was trained in ballet and in jazz. And I did that for about 12 years of my life. It was totally my life. I mean, I was dancing about six hours a day, six days a week. I went to a high school that had a dance program as well. So even during school, we were dancing actually at school, before school and after school. So it was a lot of dance. <laughs> was this in the Philippines? This was in California. So you were, you were born and raised in California. And at what point did you move to the Philippines? I moved to the Philippines about three and a half years ago. Um, it was right after my Lola had passed away and my mom decided she wanted to go back. She hadn't been back in so many years. And so we decided to kind of take a family trip. Um, and at the end, I told her, hey, you know, I've heard of this island. It's called Chargao. And <laughs> apparently they're surfing there. It would be a nice way to end this family trip that would allow us to kind of start a new family tradition that wasn't rooted in like sadness and nostalgia for my Lola, but for a new thing that we were doing together. And my mom panicked, like, no, we're not going to Shargao. Shargao's in Mindanao. And she was so scared. <laughs> She's from Manila. And, and I said, no, come on, it's surfing, it's surfing. And we go there. And of course, she just fell in love with it. Um, she also fell in love with the man who is now my partner and father of my child. Um, <laughs> and so she introduced us on that trip and she left and I stayed in Chergao. So <laughs> it's the family vacation that never ended. <laughs> wow. Amazing. <laughs> so your mom yeah. <laughs> introduced you to your partner and the father of your, of your son. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Thank you. But yeah, I was, I was raised in California and then, you know, decided a few years ago it was time to, time to come home. Well, I'm so glad you did. And yeah, your energy really spoke to, to me when I saw your flyer. And I was like, what is this cactus and the wave who's teaching bar in Chargao? <laughs> so yeah, before we start diving deep with our questions on mindset, positivity, and just life in general, I have to ask, why Cactus and the Wave? Can you share with us your journey before beginning your blog? Totally. That's a really good question. Um, the long story or the short story? <laughs> um, I'll go the middle We ground. got time. So yeah, middle ground. <laughs> middle ground. So, yeah, I was raised in California. I'm going to just like zoom through it. I was raised in California and I had left and worked abroad in France and come back and worked in tech and stopped and I was kind of all over the place a little bit. And um, so I set off on this sailing adventure and I was actually sailing in Mexico. It was a few years ago now. Um, the day after Christmas. And I had to get to a certain place. And I was in the Sea of Cortez. I'll say that. I was in the Sea of Cortez in the west coast of Mexico. And um, the weather picked up and it just started getting really, really scary. And people always ask, have you been in a storm? Well, like this was 
This wasn't supposed to be a storm, but <laughs> it started really picking up and waves were crashing over the top of the boat. And I was getting really scared, you know, and I was really, really far away from land and I had a place that I had to reach. Um, it was the only safe place to anchor the boat within like a day. And it was still about three or four hours away. So I'm trying to keep an eye on where I'm going, you know, trying to work the sails. And I go down below into the boat to grab a snack or to grab something. And I start to see water is flooding in through the boat um, underneath where like the bedroom is. And I think, okay, <laughs> that's not normal, but maybe it's just water coming in from the toilet or something. You know, maybe it's not a big deal. So I go into the bedroom and I open the door to look and see what's going on. And water just starts flooding in the boat like the Titanic. And oh, at this point, I'm like, what is happening? And so I just slam the door shut <laughs> and walk away and thinking, okay, what do I do? And I was on this trip with my ex-boyfriend, um, well, boyfriend at the time. And I go up and I tell him, okay, stay calm, but we have water flooding in the boat. And within a matter of minutes, there was water up to my knees and all of our food and everything that we had was floating around the boat. The floorboards were floating and we have a pump that's supposed to take the water out, wasn't working. So there I am in like basically just soaking wet with a bucket of water. And it's really cold, mind you, it's the day after Christmas. Um, and I'm just shoveling water out of the boat with a bucket, basically just trying to do anything I can to not sink the boat. Meanwhile, my partner at the time was preparing the life draft because he thought, oh my God, we're going to die. We need to prepare the life draft. And I said, absolutely not. You never step down out of a boat. You step up out of a boat. So <laughs> we cannot panic. We are going to survive this. So we're just shoveling out water. Um, and finally, we do make it to a safe place. We stop, we get all the water out of the boat, and I just kind of like <sighs> decompress after this crazy, kind of life-threatening day. And I got off the boat, and I went walking up into the mountains um, that were right in front of us. And I took a look around, and I'm walking through this giant cactus forest. It's this forest of these cacti that are maybe 70, 100 feet tall. And, you know, that's to my left. And I look to my right and there are the crashing waves that just almost killed me from the sea. And in this moment, I just started crying. And I, I was crying because I felt so strong that here I was between, you know, these plants that live in the desert off of nothing and they grow to be these hundred foot beauties and this powerful ravenous sea that has, you know, the power to take away your life in a second. Um, and there I was, and I survived it. And I felt like there was so much power and strength between these two entities, between these two kind of forces of nature, that I felt like, wow, that's actually a great name for my blog. <laughs> it really um, is. You know, it's, it really is. <laughs> I could be panicking, and I could see this as like, oh my God, I almost died. Or I could see this as an you know, I'm standing tall in between two moving, you know, powerful forces, and here I still am. And it was, yeah, it was an opportunity to see things through a completely different lens, I think, than 
I might have otherwise. So that's Cactus in the Wave. <laughs> I, I was not expecting that story. Same. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is such a beautiful and badass origin story. <laughs> I I personally thought that Cactus and the Wave represented like the different cultures you were from because Wave for like Shargao and then Cactus. Yeah. <laughs> but and but they really are opposing elements and forces like you said and it was just I think Marika and I had goosebumps listening to your story yeah. and we were freaking out and we're on dry land. So it's amazing how you managed to stay calm throughout everything. And now here you are. I love how you were you were the calm one. You were the calm one. Yeah. You know, and it's crazy because, um, in fact, I was not the experienced sailor. Like, I really wasn't. My partner at the time, he had been racing sailboats his whole life. He was He was the experienced one. But this was such an amazing opportunity to see what people are like in a time of crisis, um, you know, which Definitely. obviously speaks volumes to what we're going through now. But um, to really see like what parts of your character come out. And for him, who always exuded so much confidence because he was the sailor, he had his opportunity, I guess, to kind of break down because it was also my opportunity to be strong. And so even though I wasn't the sailor... I was able to maintain a kind of level of calm that allowed him to to panic. Um, and I think we all need to be both of those things at the same time. And we need, um, you know, we have many components of our character. And so this was this was an opportunity, I think, for me to, to express one of them. Wow. I feel like what you just said is happening now in every household around the world because of the pandemic, that push and pull and the the give and take and like, okay, today I'll be the rock. And then tomorrow. Oh, totally. <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I've been a yoga practitioner for over 10 years now. And one of the best choices I've made is to make yoga a daily practice. What I love about yoga is it brings balance and unity between mind, body, and spirit. If you have never tried yoga before, I encourage starting a daily practice. There are loads of free yoga channels on YouTube that can help you get started. And you can even begin with just five minutes a day. As my favorite online yoga instructor, Adrian Mischler says, any time spent on your mat is time well spent. Yoga complements everything I do, whether I'm doing activities like swimming, hiking, paddleboarding in the ocean, kickboxing, and even taking care of my kids. Yoga is the foundation from where I build my strength and stamina from. All these amazing life-changing habits such as yoga, exercise, and meditation all takes place on a yoga mat. And you can buy your very own new yoga mat on Lazada by clicking on the link on our Instagram profile at GroundedPH. They say that the best way we can make a change is by starting small until those small things creep into our lives. And before you know it, it's a part of our lifestyle. Let's show up for ourselves. Head over to the at GroundedPH profile on Instagram to purchase your eco-friendly, non-slip yoga mat today. So Gina, how did you figure out what you wanted to do in life? And what advice can you give to those starting out on their journey? I'm asking in particular for, you know, students in college and uni, they're investing so much time, effort, and money into their education whether it's online now or offline. And 
they can't help but feel like their course determines so much of what the future will look like because that's what we're told most often. Though we're aware that what you study isn't necessarily what you end up doing for the rest of your life and it, it things change. I'm asking because I'm someone who shifted courses like midway through college. I was in fashion design and then I felt at some point this isn't for me. I really felt innately and I was forcing myself to finish the course because I felt so guilty um, but eventually I shifted to arts management. Bit of an origin story here too. And that's where I met Marie. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, oh, no yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And how do you feel now after having made the switch? Do you feel like it was the right thing to do? 100%. I'm so happy I did. And I'm so happy I listened to my intuition against all odds, against everyone saying like, oh, you're going to spend so much more time in college, etc. I'm really glad I did it. And Really happy I'm here talking to both of you now because that's what led me to it. So, yeah, what's your advice for for everyone? Um, yeah, no, I, I'd say that what you're explaining is kind of like what every single person in maybe the history of time experiences at some point in their life, right? Like, I'm doing this thing, maybe I don't want to do it, or just what, what do I do? Um, I definitely went through that same thing. And I'd say, especially for students in school now, something that's really, that was really important for me and really valuable for me when I was in that stage, because I definitely don't do what I studied in school either, um, was knowing that like times evolve and jobs evolve and whatever it is that you're studying for now, there are going to be maybe a hundred other jobs that are come, that are going to come out of you know, the next few years that you couldn't have ever predicted. Um, and so whatever it is that you're doing, you're not stuck in it. And I, I don't want anyone to ever feel like they're stuck because you're definitely not. Um, you know, for example, I studied, um, <laughs> kind of complicated, I studied, I'll call it media studies. Um, basically, the, the development and the creation of relationships online through digital media, um, through social media, and how that shapes public policy. So it was a very kind of interdisciplinary degree. And when I started college, there was no Instagram, there was no Twitter, there was, you know, social media that didn't exist. Facebook had just started. I didn't even have a Facebook. And by the time I graduated five years later, the first job I got was managing Twitter accounts. So Ooh. that... Twitter didn't even exist when I started my studies. So I think that, you know, again, being able to just know that, well, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, you have no idea where your path can take you. So if you do decide to stay in your studies, well, that's okay. Like, who knows what could evolve from it. Um, but on the other hand, and I'd say this is probably the more compelling thing in my life, is that... I've really governed myself from a place, I'd say, of fear. And that's the fear of not doing something. Um, you know, I was raised in a family that made endless sacrifices for me coming from, you know, leaving the Philippines, coming to the States. And they were constantly sacrificing for their kids because they wanted us to have different opportunities, a different life. And, you know, I think that that gave me kind of a sense of entitlement and not in a bad way, but... I felt like I kind of owed it to them to take the reins on my life. And I think that 
in this generation, that's what our parents are doing for us. Anyone who's in university now, chances are that there are people before you that kind of paved a way to help you get there. For sure. Um, and so you owe it to them and you owe it to yourself to, you know, take the reins and do what really ignites you. And that's hard when your family says, be a doctor, but you actually want to be an artist, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but I think for me, I really believe that being afraid of, you know, later on in life of what could happen just doesn't carry the same weight as taking the risk, doing it, and then saying, oops, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Because then you can go back, right? You can go back and kind of redo the things or change course. But when you're old, you can't sit there and say, oh, now, now I'm going to do all the things I wished I, wished I had done. Um, right. So I... You know, so I really say that it's better to operate out of this place of, yeah, the fear of not doing. Do the thing. Make the change. And what comes of it will come of it. And when you get to that point, well, cross that bridge and do the thing or make the change. And that's kind of the path that you're going to take for the rest of your life. Um, but better to, to do it and then regret having done it instead of being afraid not doing it, and then later wishing you had, and it's too late. I love it. So take action, and then do the regretting later instead of regretting not taking action at all. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Postpone that feeling. <laughs> and I just want to say your course sounds like it was way ahead of its time. Um, everything you said about media and like managing um, social accounts, etc., and the like, it sounds like it was way ahead of its time because now I feel like that's what anyone wants to do and needs to know to start a business or create a totally. brand online. And what was really interesting actually about this course was that it wasn't a practical application course. They didn't say, here's how you build a marketing campaign. It was more about, okay, how do you connect and build a relationship with people online, right? Because things like Amazon had come out that have reviews. Well, how does a brand then communicate? How do they have a voice and talk to the people that are leaving these reviews? Suddenly, consumerism was a two-way street. It wasn't just you buy and then say nothing if you're dissatisfied. So suddenly now, there's a discourse happening. And in this course, it was really about, you know, finding ways to connect with people that aren't face-to-face, -face, which, yeah, obviously carries a lot of weight now. <laughs> Gina, you mentioned that you worked at uh, in tech at Silicon Valley, could you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Like, what did you learn about the world and about yourself working for a corporate job? And you mentioned in your blog that you felt suffocated with your lifestyle. Can you tell us more about your learnings? Yeah, absolutely. So talking about these shifts, right? Um, before coming to Silicon Valley, I was actually working in lifestyle marketing in Paris. And I was going to fashion shows and working with wine bars. <laughs> so it was very, very different. And I came back to San Francisco where I was raised. And, um, you know, if you want a job in San Francisco, you're going to work in technology. It's pretty much all there is. And so I applied for a job at a company that, quite frankly, I didn't even understand what they did. But my friend was a recruiter and she said, you know, you're really miserable to be around since you've been back from France and you're just 
moaning all the time about how you wish you were still in France. So can you just get a job so that like you have something else to do besides complain? And I will thank her forever for that advice, by the way. Um, so I went to this interview and even in the interview, I was like, okay, I don't even really understand what they're doing, but the people there seemed so passionate about their jobs and everyone just, there was this like buzz going around, you know, it was a small startup at the time. It ended up, um, being sold and bought by Cisco, which is like one of the largest tech companies in the world. <laughs> but at the time, it was a small startup and there was just this fire and energy. And by the end of the interview, I realized I don't actually care what these people do. I just want to be, I want to feel what they're feeling. And I want to be passionate and excited and I want to be part of this thing. You know, there's sales guys talking on the phone, throwing a football. There's a dog going around. There's just like this energy. And... um yeah. And so in the end, well, I got the job. And to be quite honest, like I absolutely loved my job. It was something I had never planned on doing. I started out actually working on the hardware engineering team. And remember, I came from lifestyle marketing. So this was a totally random shift. And then I ended up doing marketing for this company, but still very different. And I'd say that, you know, I really, really loved my job. But what ended up happening is I loved it so much and the culture there really provides for you in the way that, you know, you, you work a lot. Um, when you're not working, you're hanging out with people from work, you know, you're getting drinks after work with your coworkers, the weekends are spent with your coworkers and inevitably even on, you know, Friday night at the bar, you're probably talking about that last marketing campaign you worked on. So work just became my life. And as much as I loved it, there was absolutely no balance whatsoever. And I couldn't draw the line between, you know, my personal life and my work because they were so fused together. And it was also at this time that I realized, you know, San Francisco is an extremely expensive place. And in order to afford doing those fun things, getting drinks with my friends and stuff, right, I had, I had to work. And I had to work hard and I had to get the bonuses and, and earn that money to be able to afford, you know, a night out or to keep up with the Joneses and take the Ubers here and there. Um, and I was actually sitting at my desk one day and I was looking out over the San Francisco Bay and I just saw these boats kind of coming in and out and in and out. And I just thought to myself, like, wow, okay. That looks awesome. <laughs> and day after day, I realized I was spending the majority of my time wishing that I wasn't where I was. And I got to this point where I realized, like, that's not, that's not healthy. I should, you know, I, I deserve to want to be where I am. And I wasn't. You know, I was spending so much of my days just wishing I were elsewhere. And that kind of motivated me at the time to you know, to move forward and to take a different step. And that's not knocking, you know, the company or knocking Silicon Valley by any means. It's just that I didn't have the tools at the time to draw the line between, you know, my work-life balance. And, and I needed to do something else. So, yeah, it, it was suffocating keeping up with this lifestyle that didn't really speak to me anymore. I love how you, ha you remember all these defining moments of where you have these epiphanies uh, whether you're docked 
from a typhoon <laughs> on the Mexican on the coast of Mexico, or you're in San Francisco watching the boats. And um, I really admire how you have so much awareness, and you can really take a moment and pause and step back and reassess your life because not everybody has those tools you know to be able to realize like why am I feeling like I want to be somewhere else all the time yeah so I hope you can give us some tips on how to be that in tune with yourself but before I ask about that I want to know about you buying a sailboat (laughs) so how old were you even was this I guess this was after you were watching the the boats on the bay and did you do this on your own tell tell us all about it (laughs) so I um I was actually dating my coworker, um the one I told you that panicked on the boat in (laughs) in Mexico (laughs) and so he was actually experiencing the same thing that I was um you know we worked at the same company we met at the company We'd go home and we'd, you know, be in bed talking about the company. And so we were really living this kind of parallel uh, situation. And, you know, like I said, he knew how to sail. And so we had got a boat in San Francisco just to sail around, you know, after work. And actually, for the record, we didn't buy the boat. We rented it. And it was so cheap <laughs> to do this. We finagled some kind of way and, you know, had a bunch of friends pitch in. And we basically rented the use of a boat every month. So you got, you know, X amount of days per month or whatever. So just so that this doesn't sound like a completely unattainable story, it's totally attainable. I think we paid like each maybe 2,000 pesos a month to use the boat unlimited at this point. So yeah, it really wasn't like we were mega wealthy. We just got creative. <laughs> um, You're giving me ideas. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really about finding solutions. It's really about finding solutions because there was no way I could have, you know, bought that boat at the time. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we're sailing after work and this is fun. And this was about the same time that I'm seeing those boats come in and out and in and out from my desk. And, you know, we're watching the sunset from the boat on the weekend. And I realized like, I would love to do this where the water is warmer and it's bluer and, you know, I don't hear horns honking from the city, you know, something just called to me in that experience. And I started asking myself that question. We were asking ourselves that question all the time, you know, what if, what if, what if? And finally we said, you know, yeah, what if? Like, what if we do this? And so we just said, all right, we're we're going to do it. And we saved up. And again, we had to get super creative. We stopped having those expensive nights out with our friends. Instead, it was like, bring your own beer over to our house and we'll just hang out in the living room. Um, You know, we really had to shift our socializing um, to save up the money and get pretty creative. We started Airbnb our apartment to make more money. I ended up sleeping on the boat uh, illegally, actually. <laughs> we weren't supposed to live on it. But I thought, well, I can rent out my bedroom on Airbnb and sleep on the boat. Yeah, it was a really rough time in life. But I got creative, earned the money, saved up for the boat. And this was about, I don't know, my gosh, like eight years ago now. And so, yeah, my partner and I at the time, we just decided, all right, this is what we're going to do. And the goal with the boat was to 
sail all the way around the world, pretty much in search for places that weren't impacted by our human footprint. You know, we were living in this big bustling city, and for us, we wanted to just go to a place where things were simpler, where life was simpler, where, you know, we didn't have the same quote-unquote needs, um, and we actually just got to live off of our own resources and, you know, get to kind of to the root of things, understand, like, what is this actually all about? Um, and for us, sailing was the way to do that. Wow. And so what brought you to putting up a surf resort in Chargao? Well, after taking off on the sailing trip, we didn't actually make it all the way around the world. As you can imagine now, having experienced quarantine yourself, um, <laughs> it's pretty challenging to be in a really small space with one other person 24 hours a day for, at this point, years at a time. So <laughs> we, were, we were social distancing before, like, social distancing was a thing. Um, and yeah, so, you know, after a, after a few years, it just, you learn a lot about each other and you learn a lot about yourselves and the sailing trip had to end. So, <laughs> um, so in Fiji, actually, this was a few years after we had started the sailing trip, um, I left from Fiji and I went to Bali first And in Bali, I had practiced meditating and I had learned to surf. It was kind of this, you know, I had done the sailing trip with someone else and going to Bali was the opportunity for me to do something on my own. It was my first time traveling alone and, you know, I wanted to dictate what I did, where I went and learn to trust myself in that. Because even though I did this big, crazy sailing adventure, I always had someone else to ask, like, well, what do you think? What do you think? How about this? How about that? Um, But I really wanted to learn to trust my own instincts and learn to use my own voice. And so taking this trip to Bali for me did that. I went there and I said, I'm going to learn to meditate because I want to learn to find peace no matter where I am. Normally, you know, I would do bar or I would go for a run. I'm super active. But what if you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean and you can't go for a run? How do you find that inner calm? So for me, meditating was the answer. I thought, I'm going to learn to do this. So I spent a month in this you know, yoga school, learning to meditate. And then after that, I said, okay, I've been sitting enough. (laughs) Now it's time to go do something else. I'm going to learn to surf. So I went to another part of Indonesia, learned to surf, and I fell in love with it. At this point, um, you know, my mom said, let's go to the Philippines. And so when I found, you know, my new love of surfing and meditation and I found Shargao, I thought, okay, this is an awesome place to do this. And, you know, from, from teaching bar... And seeing my experiences with these women, um, I realized that, you know, there was, how do I explain, that so many of the issues that we encounter, like physically, right, you go to an exercise class to lose weight or to do this or to do that, most of the issues um, that you encounter physically are actually not physical at all. They're totally something, you know, mental. They're an internal reflection of how we see ourselves. And so getting to Shargao, after this whole experience of the sailing and the yoga and the meditation and just the surfing and all the stuff, um, coming to Shargao, I finally felt like everything pieced together. I was there in the land of my family, and I felt safe. I felt surrounded by familiarity, even though I was in a new place. And I felt safe to try something different again, and to try taking a new, you know, a a new step. And so I thought, okay, 
what if I build a place where I can combine all of these different parts that have served me so well here in Shargao, in the place that I now feel like is my home? And that's when I decided, okay, with my current partner, let's build this, you know, surf and, and wellness resort where people can come, feel like they've got a home away from home, and, and connect with those different parts of themselves through the water, through introspection, um, and doing it in a really beautiful tropical paradise where life is simple. So, yeah. <laughs> and now that you're in Spain... How is your surf resort doing and how has it been affected by the pandemic? It has been so impacted. <laughs> it has been so impacted. So obviously, um, you know, the Philippines was, I think, the first country to go on complete lockdown and Shargao is part of that. So we haven't been seeing really any tourism on the island, which in one way is really nice because it's kind of a reset for the island. You know, tourism was in some ways, hurting the local community, hurting the sea, hurting the water there. And now I'm not there, but I've heard that, you know, things are cleaner. The beaches are cleaner. Things are kind of going back to how they were before. So I do think it's a bit of a reset. But as far as the business itself, I mean, we're just holding tight. <laughs> and, you know, we're crossing our fingers and hoping that, you know, things will turn around. And hopefully they'll turn around sooner than later. And in the meantime, we have an amazing team that, you know, is still working there. They're a local family in our village, and they're holding down the fort for us. And, you know, we're just, we're riding the wave with everybody else. We couldn't have possibly predicted this. Where in Shargao is your resort? It's in this little village called Kabitonen. It's about five minutes from General Luna. So it's right outside of General Luna, but you can see the famous Tower of Cloud Nine from the front of our property. So it's actually amazing. <laughs> In fact, until very recently, it was inaccessible except by boat. Um, it was completely isolated. And now they've built two bridges that connect it, um, one to Dapa, the capital city, yes. and one going to General Luna, our, you know, main town. But yeah, previously, the only way to get there was by boat. And it's only a four-minute ride from the tower at Cloud Nine to Capitonen, but no one knew that it was there. So for so us, mysterious. it was the most, yeah, it was the most perfect place to create this, this retreat because you're so close to the action. So you can keep your eyes on the prize, right? If you come there for surfing, you can see the waves. So you've got your eyes on the prize, um, but you're far enough away to take a break, to see things from a different perspective, to have introspection, to have that calm. And because we're in a local village, it's also an opportunity not just to come to Shargao as a tourist, but to get to know how people live in Shargao. When you come to stay with us at Punta Punta, you know, the hope is that you leave a bit more educated and a bit more like family rather than you would just being, you know, a regular, a regular tourist. Mm-hmm. Very immersive secret spot. Hopefully it stays secret. And I think we're due for a grounded trip there. Totally. And I think that, you know, this is also, again, I mean, it's obviously really hard because tourism is now the primary industry on the island, right? So a lot of people are left unemployed. You know, they don't have jobs. They don't have a way to provide for their family. 
So obviously there's the pressure to reopen. At the same time, um, you know, it needs to be done in, in a safe way because as amazing as Shargao is, we don't have the resources there that we have in other islands. The hospital is severely lacking, um, you know, the resources that it needs for even the most basic of functions, let alone, uh, you know, handling a pandemic. So I think hopefully this is also an opportunity for local officials to see what needs to be done to make tourism there more sustainable because we've got a lot of people coming in to do extreme sports like surfing on a shallow reef. We need, you know, we need certain facilities. We've got loads of kids and families that need those same, um, you know, access to healthcare. So I do hope again, that this is an opportunity to pause and see, okay, some things have to change here before um, before the island can start welcoming big influxes of people again. I can't tell you how many times Marika has linked me to your profile. And I'm just like, <laughs> yes, Marika, you already sent me cactus on the way, but I love it. Last time I was in Chargao, like I mentioned, was for Marika's wedding, which was amazing. It was so fun. And reading about your retreat made me so nostalgic for that magical island. I actually just, I felt more relaxed taking in What was included in the package? I was like, sunset yoga? Yes. Surf sessions? Yes. Island hopping? Sign me up. And possibly massages. All the things you dream about in quarantine. So do you see yourself conducting um, a retreat of any kind anytime soon? Like once lockdown lifts, whether online or not? Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely the goal, right? Um, You know, once I came to Shargao and kind of had this idea and then built this place with my partner, that was absolutely the goal, to do this year-round, all the time, impact as many people as we possibly can, um, you know, with our kind of view of life um, through this experience. Obviously, now things are a little bit more challenging, but certainly, I mean, in quarantine, I spend a lot of time daydreaming about what we can do when we return, what we can do next, what can happen next. And, um, you know, I really think that this is actually going to be something that people need, you know, after being in lockdown and being in quarantine, where you're probably kicking up a lot of dirt on things that maybe you didn't deal with before, (laughs) that, you know, a lot of emotions, a lot of realizations, a lot of self-awareness. Coming out of quarantine, I think, is almost just as difficult as going into it because the world looks different now on the outside. And so hopefully the retreat will be a place that people can kind of come and connect those pieces back together for their new normal. Gina, speaking of programs and finding joy, how and when did you know that you wanted to become a positive mindset coach? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that it was after that trip in Bali that that I kind of realized that there were all of these different pieces that I wanted to put together. Like, okay, I have all these life experiences now. What on earth do I do with all of this? Um, You know, what is my next step moving forward? I've sailed halfway around the world. I've worked in different industries. I've done all these things. Like, now what? Um, And yeah, it was, I think, after, you know, that trip where I really came into my own, where I took the reins again on my own life, making really simple decisions, right? Like the first day that I got to Bali, 
I'll admit, I had zero plans. Like I didn't even, I didn't know anything. I hadn't even done any research. I had just been sailing, having an awful breakup, you know, going through a lot of stuff. I just got a ticket one way and left and got to Bali. And um, when I got there, I checked into my, to my hotel or to my hostel and I walked out in the street with no plan. And I said, okay, well, now what do I do? And, you know, normally you're traveling with a friend or a partner and you'd look to your left or look to your right and ask someone like, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And someone would come up with a suggestion. But there I was suddenly very alone and had no clue. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get water. I'm going to go buy water because I need water because I can't drink from the tap. And then I'll figure out what I do after I get the water. So I went, I walked on the street, got the water. And then it was like, okay, got the water. Now what? I saw a flyer for some cultural dance show. Okay, I'll go to the cultural dance show. Why not? And I slowly started taking these like really small, it sounds so ridiculous, right? Like you're on vacation, you should just be enjoying yourself. But I was alone. I had no idea what I was doing. It was my first time alone. And so the trip kind of started in that way. Little by little, I was doing these, you know, kind of micro things. And in the end, I realized, okay, I am empowered right now by the way that I'm living my life. Um, I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling engaged. I'm feeling present. And, you know, I want to share this. And it was this cross of like, you know, a change in my mindset and also obviously a change in like my physicality. I was doing yoga every day and surfing and exercising. And I found that there was this convergence of these things, of the bar, of the meditation, of the travel that all kind of came together for this perfect, perfect recipe. And that's when I thought, okay, I want to share this with everybody. <laughs> like everyone deserves to feel like this. Um, you know, and some people say, oh, wow, but like you're different. You've done all these things. I am no different than you. I'm no different than you. I'm just like everybody else. Um, and, you know, I've just made choices towards happiness. And that was something that I really, really wanted to share was like, you can do it. This person can do it. That person can do it. Everyone can do it. And here's how. And I thought coaching was the way to do that. So I got a certification for like a general my, like general wellness coaching program. And then I tweaked that to make it something that I believed was, you know, more in line with what I could share and what my skill set, what my experience would lend me to share with people. And, you know, my mom actually was a huge part of this. My mom always said to me that in order to be happy in this life, you must be objective. And to be objective, you must change your perspective. And that hit me. And it's something that I think about all of the time. And when I was developing this coaching program, that was kind of the mission statement for me, was how can we change our perspective towards seeing things in a positive way, or at least finding the positivity in these different situations that we're in throughout life. And yeah, so that's where I, you know, created this program that's, I think, pretty unique, but, but relevant to everyone. Are you a spiritual person? Oh, definitely. I would say so. I think there's definitely a difference between spirituality and religion, but I firmly believe that we are just a small part of something much bigger. And I think that that's not only humbling, but it also allows us to feel so much more connected 
And for me, that's, that is what spirituality is about, is, is believing that you're part of something bigger. So I certainly, certainly would say I am. And can you talk us through the importance of taking action? We, like you mentioned, you've, you've always been moving from one sort of job to experience, to adventure, to the next thing. But did you really have to push yourself to keep moving and finding the next best thing or stay motivated? And how does this apply to people who are kind of doing the same thing their whole lives? Like they've decided, I'm going to be, insert occupation here. And how does this apply to them? Totally. Um, so for starters, I definitely have to keep myself motivated. <laughs> um, I, you know, I really believe that motivation is kind of like this moving train that passes in and out of the station. And, you know, sometimes it comes in nice and slow. You see it coming, you hop on board and you ride that motivation to get you to do the next thing. Um, and other times it just comes and goes so fast that you hardly even knew it was there because maybe you're so distracted with other things, you know, in life. Um, so I think oftentimes we wait to make changes. We wait to do things until we feel motivated. But I don't think that motivation is actually a feeling. I think it's, it is an action. So when you can take an action, any, any action, right, it, however big or small, when you take an action, that ignites your motivation, And then from there, the motivation is actually what fuels your inspiration. And then when you're inspired, that ignites more motivation. So it becomes this really amazing circle and this cycle, but it requires you to kickstart it somewhere. Um, and, you know, as for people that are doing one thing their whole life, I don't think that anything actually ever stays that constant. And I think people in general have this innate desire to evolve and to change and to grow and to develop. So let's say, you know, you're a violinist. Well, maybe you first start off by playing Mary Had a Little Lamb, but 30 years later, you're probably not still going to be playing that song. You know, you're going to be playing something, who knows what, I have no idea. <laughs> but, you know, it's not going to be that same thing. And I think that, you know, whether or not you have a path that's very colorful and ever-changing that looks like a bit more flurry like mine, or it seems like a more of a straight shot. Either way, there's always an evolution and there's always a change and there are ups and there are downs. Um, and you need motivation to fuel you through those things. When you're learning that new song on the violin, um, it's going to be hard because you've never done it before. And there's probably going to be a time when you just want to throw the thing away and say, forget it. You know, but you're not satisfied going back to Mary Had a Little Lamb because that's boring now. You've done that. You've mastered it, you know. But then you're going to look at the violin in the corner and think, huh, maybe I'll just forget about it, you know. Or, okay, do, do I want to do it, you know, or a different thing. And then I'll go back to that next one. Um, but, it, yeah, it does, I think motivation really does require, require action. And you, the key is just to keep moving. Keep moving in any direction and eventually – one of those directions will be the right one. Wow, that really hit the spot. And it yeah. was so uncanny that you used the specific example of a violinist. I'm not a violinist, but I was about to say that's really sound advice for everyone, but particularly really sound advice for artists because I'm a musician myself. So I was like, oh, oh yeah, I felt <laughs> that. But yeah, really, no, I agree. And sometimes you don't even 
When you break things down instead of big chunks into little chunks, if that makes sense, it makes it less intimidating. And then you find that, like you said, you just keep moving and then eventually you find yourself on a direction that excites you or you feel comfortable pursuing. Absolutely. I think that, you know, and that's, action is scary, right? Like we're afraid to change and we're afraid to take movement. So it doesn't have to be something big. You can just push the door a little bit at a time, right? Learn a new chord or learn a new note or something. I'm definitely not a musician. You really never want to hear me get anywhere near a violin. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just taking any kind of, of little action will fuel that excitement. And you know, when you're excited about something, like when I'm really passionate about something and I sit down and write, suddenly the words just flow. You know, and I think that's the case with everybody and the thing that they're super excited about. And then that's motivating. Oh my gosh, look, I just wrote, you know, the first chapter. Well, maybe now I can write a book. Like, who knows? You know, you just got to get going. (laughs) The one thing I struggle with is finding motivation. But I love how you said that it's an action and it's not a feeling. And I love the description and the picture of the train. (laughs) I really saw it and I could see myself sometimes (laughs) hopping on the train or just missing the train. And it also brought me back to when you were describing your situation in Bali when you just arrived and you did things one step at a time, like, I'm going to go get water first. Okay, I'm going to watch a show. I find like that those steps are the things that actually help me get out of my funk because I usually, my problem is I end up procrastinating because I feel like I get overwhelmed with things a lot and I look at it as a whole, like I'm so stressed. I don't know how to do this. How am I even going to do it? Like I've gone through days, weeks, and maybe it, it, it reaches a month where I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get moving. And I still struggle with that. It's something that I'm always trying to, you know, find a solution to. I've Googled time management, like how to find balance, which is why Grounded is about finding balance and yeah. <laughs> talking to all these people that inspire us and who can give us tips and advice and that we can learn from. So yeah, thank you for sharing that and that being said I get a lot of anxiety anxiety is a word that's thrown around often a lot of people experience it maybe um, some at a different level than others and like even with work like if if I look at my to-do list or paying my bills like I get an anxiety and with anything now especially with the virus there's so much to be anxious about can you give us advice on how to be more powerful than our anxious thoughts? Like how can we really train our mind to replace the feelings or these negative beliefs that we have? Totally, totally. I'd say for starters, um, you know, anxiety is totally normal. (laughs) And I think especially now we're all experiencing some level of that. Um, And I am certainly not immune to it. I absolutely go through these moments of, you know, anxiety or of you know, ne- negative thoughts or negative beliefs and, you know, just like everyone else does. Um, but I'd say that the thing that really helps me the most to pull myself out of that and get back into the present is finding my truth. So identifying what is actually true in this situation. That helps me stay so much more grounded. Um, I'll give you a little example. So since having my son, I've been going through a lot of hormonal changes <laughs> and I get some crazy thoughts sometimes. You know, I'll be 
giving, you know, putting him down for a nap and I'm rocking him and he's a very sensitive baby and he likes to be in a pitch black room. Um, so there I am, a 33-year-old woman, a full adult, rocking my newborn son in a dark room and I start getting these anxious feelings that someone is going to grab my feet from under the bed or pop out of the closet. You know, I'm an adult. I shouldn't be afraid of the dark anymore. But suddenly I get these, I mean, paralyzing, anxious thoughts to the point where there was about a week or two there that I would just shove the baby to my partner and say, can you please put him down for a nap? Like, I'm too afraid to be in the room by myself. Um, At which point I realized, one, voicing that anxiety was so valuable. Because for about two weeks, I had been living with these thoughts alone in my head. But when I, you know, put words around it and said it out loud to him and said, hey, look, I'm feeling anxious and it might sound ridiculous to you, but I need to tell somebody and I just need to to put it out there into the world. When I actually said the words, it sounded kind of funny. Like, okay, I'm afraid of the dark. (laughs) All right. Like, I'm, afraid I'm guilty that of someone... that. Sorry. So I can yeah. totally relate. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just you know, that. So... Yeah. It was just like, okay, I, putting the words there, making it, making it, you know, verbalizing it was so helpful. And then he said, well, okay, do you want me just to, to put him down for a nap? And I said, no, I'm going to, number two, then focus on my truths. What is true about this situation? One, I have looked. There is no one under the bed. There is no one under the blankets. There is no one under, you know, in my closet. Um, no one could fit under my dresser because the dresser is an inch and a half off the floor. Right? So <laughs> these are the truths that I'm telling myself. No one is in this room. You know, another truth is I sleep in a pitch black room and I feel perfectly safe doing that every night. You know, another truth is I'm with my baby. I love my baby. I'm putting my baby down for a nap. These are the truths that are keeping me rooted in the situation that help remove so much of the anxiety. And, you know, it didn't change overnight, but it's something every single day when I go down for nap time, I've got to say these same things. I look around. Is there anyone in the room? No. And then go through my truths. And I think that that's, you know, that's something that you can do in any kind of situation, whether it's paying the bills. Okay. You know, how much do I owe? How much money do I have in my bank account? You know, grounding yourself in those truths and then talking about it with someone or even talking out loud to the air, but vocalizing it, putting words around it really helps reduce the power that you give to the anxiety and gives you the power again to to work with it and to make the decisions through it. These days, it's more important than ever to keep our body moving, especially when we tend to be more sedentary working from home. Like Karina and Marika, I've been a long-time practitioner of no-equipment bodyweight exercises like yoga and Pilates. But lately, I started incorporating dumbbell weights into my regimen, and I seriously see a huge difference with how I feel and how I carry myself. Contrary to popular belief about weightlifting making you appear more bulky and less flexible, lifting weights actually increases your balance and flexibility and helps you build more lean muscle, which is more metabolically active and helps you burn calories faster during cardio workouts. 
Working out with weights strengthens your connective tissue and helps you protect your body from injury, making you stronger in other areas of your life, such as doing housework, carrying groceries, and taking care of your kids and fur babies. Click on the link on our Instagram profile at GroundedPH to purchase your very own vinyl dumbbell weight set on Lazada. These weights come in an array of cool colors and are sold by pair. You don't need a gym to stay in shape, get stronger, and tone up. Purchase your very own set of weights at Grounded PH today. Wow, I was actually about to ask about any specific tips about anxiety in relation to the pandemic, but I think that everything you said is totally applicable because these days my friends and I talk about how, you know, the slightest cough or like in the morning, you know how sometimes your throat is itchy and you're like, and then you're like oh my gosh and then you kind of freak out and you're like what's my temperature but based on what you said I think you can kind of assess the situation um, speak it aloud like you said and look at the facts talk to someone it always helps it always helps and then you you realize how funny or ridiculous you sound and then you can laugh it off together and dissipate that energy of fear and like you said not give it so much power so I think you totally much answered that (laughs) And, you know, I think to that note, there's one more thing that um, that I do sometimes, and it does sound a little bit crazy, but I talk out loud about the situation in the third person. So instead of saying, like, I am anxious about this or I am scared of the dark, I'll say, and this, again, sounds kind of nuts, but it helps, <laughs> I'll say, Gina is afraid of the dark. Gina feels like someone is going to snatch her feet from under the dresser. You know, I'll, I'll speak about myself in the third person. And I feel like it just, it puts a different spin on things when you can remove yourself from the emotions of, you know, the anxiety. Because again, like the anxiety narrator. is perfect. Totally, totally. The anxiety is normal. We all feel it. But it's an emotional thing, right? So if you can separate yourself from the emotion, again, by saying that person that person, Gina, she's feeling this way. It also gives you an opportunity to look at it from a different angle. Okay, well, what would I tell Gina if she's feeling scared? You know, if I were Gina's friend, what would I say? And it's another way I'd say to, yeah, disconnect yourself from the anxiety and kind of be a friend to yourself in that way. And yeah, take the power back for yourself and kick the anxiety to the curb. Gina, what about those suffering with clinical mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, or even sometimes postpartum depression, do you think a positive mindset is enough to be able to battle these issues? Um, you know, I wish I could say yes, it is, but I personally, I'm not sure. Um, what I would say is that, you know, wellness coaching and mindset coaching is like, best suited for people that are already functioning normally and, you know, well in their daily lives that aren't experiencing some kind of, um, you know, emotional crisis or, you know, psychological distress. I'd say that, you know, there are definitely other professionals that are better suited to help with these kind of clinical illnesses. Um, and they, and they need that attention. And then once those things are worked through, then absolutely. I'd say once, you know, you're at kind of neutral zone, then definitely mindset coaching is super beneficial. 
Um, but I don't think that it is enough to help combat or to help heal some of the clinical illnesses that you mentioned. Sadly, that stigma is still really strong in the Philippines for some reason. I don't know if it's because we're such a tight-knit society and everyone is in everyone's business <laughs> and like every family knows every other family or everyone's I'm related. sure that's a big that's a big part of it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but I was talking to my friend in Australia and she was saying, you know, seeing a therapist or seeking help is not even like people wouldn't even blink or bat an eyelash because it's like if you can talk to your boss at work and be like, oh, I need to take a mental health day off. And I'll be like, oh, by all means, go ahead. And I just think that's so cool. And I can't wait till we catch up locally. Moving on, I like I mentioned earlier, I really love the way you write and express yourself. But among the many quotables <laughs> and things you mentioned in your blog, what you said in your most recent Shifted Sunday Challenge really stood out to me. And I quote, okay, this is a long one, bear with me. And I hope I say it right. But <laughs> There are moments in life when the vignette fades away and all that was living in the peripheral comes into focus. Masks fall off, veils uncovered, and what remains is a rough, rugged, honest truth. It's in that process of crystallization that we find our way forward. But here's the thing about peripheral. That's where the truth lives. Oh, so, so good. When I read that, I was like, <laughs> shook it to my core. Um, so with our busy lives currently on pause, it feels like most of us are now confronted with or faced with this peripheral that you mentioned moving into center stage and center focus, things we otherwise wouldn't have to address or things we could sweep under the rug because we would have places to be, things to do, trains, planes, and things to catch. Are there any issues or topics in your own life that have always been lurking in the edges and now suddenly demand to be seen and felt. And when this happens, depending on what is being resolved or unearthed, it can be like really strong or really cathartic. I know I'm personally going through that now, exactly what you wrote down in your blog. How do you suggest we take on these sometimes hard-hitting truths? Because they, they pack a punch, honestly. Totally. <laughs> you are so right. They, they really, really do. Um, so... In terms of, you know, things in my own life, this has happened, I'd say, several times over, right? Anybody who's gone through a breakup or a death, for example, um, has experienced this in some kind of way. Um, recently, I went through a pretty crisis situation within my own family. Um, you know, growing up in a tight Filipino family, I'm sure you guys understand everyone's in everybody's business, like you said. <laughs> we all know everything about each other. But at the end of the day, like, we're family. You don't mess with my family, right? Um, super, super tight. And after my Lola passed, like I, I mentioned earlier, family has kind of evolved a little bit and things have, and things have changed shape. And it's been a really, really hard reality for me to accept that I thought my family was one way and maybe actually were a different way. And, you know, I'd say in this time of crisis where everyone's experiencing things that are bringing up, again, yeah, a lot of dirt, for me what I started realizing was that my idea of family and my idea of the people that are in it are not actually the reality anymore. Um, and that was really, really painful. You know, it's really painful because this is like, these are people you love, 
you know, they're people you love. And I think that we have these expectations of what it means to be, you know, a family or what it means to be a friend or a boss. We put expectations on these roles that we carry in our relationships and society. And when they're not what we think they are or what they should be, like you said, it packs a punch. It hurts really bad. Um, and so, you know, for dealing with this, like, well, first I cried for like three straight days. <laughs> um, just like, long. yeah. And that was the cathartic part, I think, you know, just like, I'm going to let it all out. I'm going to be a slobbery, blubbery mess and just feel all the things. And then I'm going to pause. And then I'd say for me, what's really helped me through this and what, you know, I, I would advise for someone else to do is try to understand what do those things on the peripheral say about you? Because oftentimes the reason that we don't want to look at the peripheral, why we push these things aside, is because we feel that they in some way reflect us as a person. And, you know, once we accept or once we acknowledge what that reflection is, well, then we probably have some work to do, right? <laughs> then there are some changes to make or, you know, some yeah, some actions to take. And we're really busy people. We have a lot of things going on in our lives. We don't need more self-work, you know? So we just push stuff away, push stuff away. Um, but I think, yeah, once we can understand, one, what is this situation or what are these things on the outside saying about me as a person? Then you can kind of come to terms with it. Um, and then you can start seeing, okay, well, what is this saying about me? What can I do with this information? right? Do I actually believe what it's saying about me? Or is that what maybe other people are going to think that it's saying about me, right? Like, if I'm not this close with this family member anymore, is it because I'm a horrible person? Is it because I've done something wrong? You know, there, there's a whole list of things that the mind can come up with, these narratives that we can come up with. But spend some time and, you know, kind of dig out the truth there. What does this mean about you? And then, yeah, from there, Scout out the opportunities that come from opening your eyes to see things in a different way. So in the case of like, you know, dealing with my family lately, it felt like I was going through the, I mean, most painful breakup that suddenly these people that I thought were one way are just certainly not. And it hurts and it hurts and it hurts. And I identified, okay, well, what does that mean? Am I a person that has no family? Do I have, you know, less family? And then eventually I realized, okay, there's some positive things that I can see in this. I just had a child, my first child, and he's my family. What lessons am I going to teach him, you know, about what it means to be a family? How you treat one another, what roles we take on and what those roles look like, how you wear them, how you respect these, you know, shared values. And so I'd say that as painful as it is in the present moment to kind of unveil what's in the peripheral, it's such powerful information for you to have to impact your future, you know, and, and how you choose to move forward with that. And clearing out all of that dust on the side, it makes the path forward so much well, cleaner and much easier to see. You just, you know, have to, have to go through it first. <laughs> I have no words. Thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate this free coaching that we're receiving right now. 
You also mentioned that intentions are the micro goals that put us on track to achieving our big goals. They are an opportunity to make immediate and impactful change in the current version of ourselves. I feel like there's a bit of a misconception with intention setting. It doesn't have to be this, you know, this big, intimidating, complicated thing like a New Year's resolution or, I don't know, something you put up on your wall. And like you said, their effects can be immediate, like instantaneous, like as soon as you say it, right now. Can you guide us through a simple, a wee little intention setting practice our listeners can do, like right now, like a a bite-sized one? Absolutely. So I'd say that when it comes to setting intentions, first, always start with your big goal, right? What is the big goal? What is it? And, you know, why are you doing it? Why is it so important to you? Um, You know, why is this the thing that you keep coming back to over and over again? Let's say that goal is lose 50 pounds. Okay, well, that's a big goal. From the big goal, then set up micro goals, like, you know, maybe some things you want to do for the week and then some things you're going to do for the day. But make these micro goals something actionable and attainable. Like these micro goals serve as an opportunity not only to give you the progress that you need to move forward, but also a chance to feel like a little cheerleader. Like, yeah, I did it. And to give you some confidence because I think confidence is a huge part, right, in motivation and in and in, in making a change. You want to feel strong that you can do it. So maybe, yeah, it looks like, okay, the big goal is I want to lose 50 pounds. Well, this week I'm going to, you know, plan out, you know, three healthy meals and go on two walks. Okay. And today the micro goal is I just want to drink two of these glasses of water before one o'clock. And that's it. Your only goal for the day is drinking the water before 2 o'clock. You've given yourself a deadline, and it's something super attainable. And I think some people think this is like, oh, well, it's just so little. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, but it is a big deal. Because if you drink those two glasses of water, then tomorrow when you're going to drink three glasses of water, it doesn't feel like a big deal. And the next day, if it's four glasses of water, it doesn't feel like a big deal. Mm. So do the small things. And for me... I like writing these things down because I feel so much satisfaction, like physically, like crossing it off of the list. Like, yeah, watch me attaining my goals. You know, (laughs) I'm on my way. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I think that that's for me, the intention setting is make it small, make it something that you can actually do in a realistic time frame that will move you in the direction towards the big goal. And constantly go back to the big goal and make sure that that's actually still important to you. It all adds adds up. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. Because taking on the big thing, it's way overwhelming and you're like, "Uh, okay, maybe never mind. (laughs) Maybe I'll do that later. But if you can just do piece by piece before you know it, you're halfway there. It's really the small steps that make a difference. It's the everyday practice of showing up and... Yeah, I guess it's really good advice to take things one step at a time again because things can be so overwhelming if you keep looking at the big picture all the time, every day. Yeah, absolutely. When we were building our wellness retreat, I decided I wanted to save some money and build the website myself. 
I have zero experience in website development, <laughs> but I figured that YouTube is extremely useful and I can figure it out. Like, why not try to do it myself? So I set about finding out how to build a website and I panicked and then I procrastinated for about three months. Because I thought, this is such a huge project. I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. Like, people go to school for this. What am I thinking? And I just did the negative hate talk and procrastinated. And I got so overwhelmed that I just didn't do it. And then finally I sat down and said, okay, I'm going to find today a domain name. I'm just going to go to godaddy.com and I'm going to buy the domain name. That's all. And maybe in a couple of days, I'm going to just look online at like templates to get some inspiration. Just look. That's all. And then maybe in a couple more days after that, then I'll, you know, start writing a little bit of the bio. And I made it these tiny little things. And before I knew it, I would be sitting there for 10 straight hours so excited because I learned like, oh, okay, now I'm going to put this here and now I'm going to do that there. And the fuel just comes and the motivation comes, the inspiration comes. And before I knew it, we had a website. It's funky. Wow. It's got some things, you know, that could definitely use improvement. But I did it and I'm so proud. And it took me a little while. But, you know, you break them down piece by piece and, and you get there. That's a lot of determination building a website <laughs> from scratch with no experience. Hats off to you. Yes. <laughs> Jira, I was listening to a podcast with Jay Shetty the other day, and he was talking about feeling inferior to others. I felt like this was such an interesting topic for us, especially Filipinos, because we as Filipinos are prone to feeling inferior to others. And we have this belief that it's always better to be somewhere else. It's always better to be someone else. You know, we'll make better money abroad. Foreigners are smarter and better than us. Or we aren't as good as the rest of the world. And because of feeling inferior to others, I feel like it has a direct relationship to anxiety. And it can even lead to having a people-pleasing personality. Can you share with us your take on inferiority complex? Absolutely. And I'm... So glad that you brought this question up because this is an issue that I've seen over and over and over again throughout my life. Um, again, most notably within my own family. You know, people who I love and I know are amazing are just constantly knocking themselves down, not attacking their goals, and oftentimes like getting walked over because they have it in their mind that they're just not worthy or that, you know, they're inferior in some way. And it's totally, totally wrong. You know, I think, firstly, this is an institutionalized issue within Filipino culture that absolutely has to change, and it has to change from the top up. Sorry, the top down. Filipinos, especially in a place of power, have the choice to open up opportunities to their, you know, brothers and sisters to empower the country, to empower their people, um, you know, from the inside out, from employment opportunities from highlighting, you know, Filipino businesses, for example, for, um, you know, putting up Morena faces on advertisements instead of, you know, white blonde girls. Like, we have a really beautiful culture, but it's getting lost in this process of globalization. And I'd say that, you know, first and foremost, like, we need to see people that are like us doing things that we want to do right? Like that's such a, it's such a powerful thing to be able to look up and see, you know, this person that looks like you on the billboard. 
it's inspiring. It's motivating. Um, you know, and, and I think that if you bring that down onto a more individual level, like the one that, you know, we can actually control, I think it goes back to knowing your truths, to identifying the things that you believe are true about yourself and, you know, working on them and holding on to them. Um, and this might also mean looking at your weaknesses, right? Like you're applying, there's a job that you want and you can say, oh, I'm not qualified or, oh, you know, my coworkers have more experience. I'm not even going to try. Well, if you're looking at your truth, the fact might be that you're not qualified for the job, but that doesn't mean that you have to stay unqualified. It means ask, you know, ask them, how do I get qualified? You don't know how to get qualified? You know, ask your boss, ask the coworker who you think, you know, has the experience that you do. Empower yourself with the knowledge because, you know, I think that we're always afraid, especially in this feeling of inferiority, of looking stupid or seeming like we don't know something. But the truth is, is that we don't know most things. And, you know, the humbling fact is that, I don't know, like, I think it's, the fact that no one really knows, you know, so many people don't know is humbling in the sense that that gives us so much power in our lives, right? We're kind of all in it together. So if you're a musician and I want to start learning how to play music, well, I could either sit here forever and say, oh, well, I'm never going to learn because I don't know how. Or I could say, oh, I know this person who does know how to do it. So I'm going to ask her, hey, you know, I've always wanted to try playing an instrument. Like, how do I start? Could you give me some tips? You know, and I think that it also makes other people feel really good when you ask them. It validates what it is that they do know. And then that circle will come back to you too, right? Because you certainly know something that somebody else doesn't know, and they know something that you don't know. So yeah, finding your truths, identifying what you believe is true about you, working on that, holding on to that, and then asking for help and guidance and validation when you don't have it. So Gina, the world has shifted like we were talking about earlier. Many of us are facing underlying issues that have no choice but to come to the surface. It's been said that we are confronted with our shadow selves or that shadow energy that we all live with, whatever you want to call it. And we need to face ourselves now more than ever. We can either grow and change or we can resist. The state of the world has put so many relationships to the test as well. What do you have to say about our current state of the world and the state of humanity in terms of relationships with ourselves and with others? And just in terms of human consciousness and awareness? You know, it's we're definitely in a time that none of us could have ever predicted, right? And that in uncertainty does bring about so much dirt. So much anxiety, all of that stuff, like we said, on the peripheral. Um, and this is, you know, new territory. We haven't been here before. So for me, I'd say, you know, I think that in a way, we can look at this as being gifted. You know, we're, we're being gifted this opportunity to really look at what's under the hood, to understand who we are as individuals when all of the distractions and our outlets are stripped away. Um, you know, and it, it gets, it gives us the opportunity to know those people around us. Like we said, you know, you're living in, in the house with, 
your family and you can't hide, well, you're really, really getting to know each other, you know, for, for better or for worse. And I think that it's so important that we have this opportunity to understand ourselves in such a raw and pure form because from there, then we can start to understand, okay, what we need as individuals, what our partners, what our kids are needing in this time, you know, what, um, what we want for the world to look like outside of this. There's so much introspection, I think, that's happening right now. And we don't really have a choice unless we completely, like you said, just ignore it. Um, we don't have a choice but to look at it straight on and learn something from it. I mean, this is really, really a big opportunity for us to grow. And when we emerge from this on the other side, we might have, and hopefully we will have, you know, very different relationships um, with ourselves, with our loved ones. And, you know, hopefully we'll have a much clearer idea about what kind of world we want to live in. Because we've had a lot of time to daydream up an alternate reality, you know, while we're sitting, <laughs> while we're sitting here in our homes, um, you know, and I'd say that is, that is really a gift. It really is a gift. We always say that, you know, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time to exercise. I wish I had more time to take this vacation, to start a new hobby, to do X, Y, or Z, to, to see a wellness coach to go on the retreat. Well, now you have time. You have all the time in the world, and it's such a luxury that now you can use it to, to do the work and to do the things that, that you couldn't do before, the deep stuff, you know? Absolutely. It's really good to look at this time as a gift. And my thoughts exactly. I'm one of those people who are always complaining about not having enough time. I still feel that way. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, we're on to our last question. And of course, it's what keeps you grounded? Hmm. <laughs> what keeps me grounded? I would definitely say, um, well, one, again, knowing my truth. And something that my Lola always told me is that you can, you must, and you will. So for me, that's finding joy. I can find joy. I must find joy, and I will find joy. And if I repeat that mantra every day in everything I do, and when I'm faced with something unleveling, it's the fastest way for me to put my feet on solid ground and, yeah, get grounded again. Wow. Thank you so, so much for your time, Gina, for sharing your energy and your beautiful thoughts and your wisdom. Your positivity is so infectious and we were definitely taking notes of everything you said. <laughs> well, you know where to find me. Yes, and we hope to see you in Chargao. Yes. I hope you'll make it back here soon, sooner yes, than later. Yes, so do I. So do I. I just had this idea of teaching my, you know, my son to swim in the blue water in front of our house. And I'm just dying Aww. for this opportunity. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to come home. Oh, well, hopefully this year, or, or are you guys looking at next year? Well, as we all know, we know nothing about what the world is going to look like. So we're just rolling with it. And when we can, we can. And in yeah. the meantime, we're just, 
you know, going to find other ways to enjoy our days. Well, we'll definitely be in touch and on your blog and please keep us posted. We would love to, you know, work with you someday on like an awesome grounded retreat or just attend one, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That would <laughs> that would be amazing. And thank you guys so much for having me today. I've been a huge fan oh, of your feeling. podcast. So when I got your message, I was like, yay! <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. I remember when you first made your Instagram, like the first time I saw your Instagram and I was like, oh, oh, what is this? <laughs> This is going to be interesting. So I've been like cyber stalking you since. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, so, well, that's yeah. a <laughs> sentiment. So, exactly. It's one of those things where your vibe will just attract, you know, the people that you're vibing with. Absolutely. Absolutely. You send out the good vibes, you'll get the good vibes back. <laughs> so yeah. that's the feel good life. Well, thank you so much, Gina. We won't take up any much more of your time. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the next episode of Grounded Radio.